Hello and welcome to the Global Digital Futures podcast, where we discuss the latest in digital technology in the global south. I'm your host, Chipoma Pondera, and the researcher on this episode was Eliza Bacon, and the editor was Dervila Ni Vrenan. This week, we are joined by Hannah Metcalf to speak about mobile for development in Tanzania. Hannah has had an eight-year career in mobile for development and technology for development. Since 2017, she has been working for Viamo, and since 2019, she has been the country director in Tanzania. Viamo is a technology for development organization with a platform capable of reaching anyone in the world with a mobile phone. Viamo partners with a wide range of NGOs and other organizations so they can tailor excellent behavior change communication campaigns, hotlines, infolines, and subscription services, as well as providing the data analysis and visualization to go with it. Hi, Hannah. Thank you for joining us. Hi, Chief. It's great to be here today. So let's just dive straight in. Uh, could you tell us more about Viamo and your approach to using mobile and technology for social development? Yeah, absolutely. So at Viamo, we believe that information is power and we work towards creating a world where everyone has access to the information they need to make decisions for healthy, prosperous lives. We're a technology and sector agnostic company, which means we work across a lot of industries and technology channels. That being said, we specialise and we prioritise creating technology solutions for mobile phones that everyone can access. And this predominantly means in the countries we work, the most basic of mobile phones are the most applicable. And while our product offering is far reaching, we mainly support data collection and two-way feedback mechanisms, as well as information dissemination. And I think what sets us apart from a lot of other ICT for D players is our specialization in a technology known as interactive voice response, or more commonly known as IVR. And the best way to describe this from a Western context is when you call your bank and you're trying to talk to a real person, but there's an automated voice asking you to press one for your bank statement or press two to report a lost or stolen card, etc. It's that exact technology which we have taken and adapted and made suitable for people who only have access to the most basic of mobile phones. And what that means is if the phone is GSM registered and can send or retrieve calls, then our IVR solutions are accessible on that phone. And in 2020 alone, we were able to reach more than 30.5 million people around the globe using this type of technology. One of our main services is a national hotline known globally as the 321 service. The 321 service is a toll-free automated hotline which delivers information on a wide range of topics in local languages to the most basic of phones. And we provide this 321 service in 18 countries to make it accessible to more than 120 million mobile subscribers. Nearly 10 million unique mobile subscribers used the service in 2020 and over 161 million key messages were listened to. And we define a listener as someone who has listened to at least 75% of any given key message. Great. So it's quite interesting. You're talking about like the technology that you're using and ICT for development and how the reach that you're having as well with um, using this technology with mobile phones. I wanted to find out more about some of the campaigns or specific hotlines or info lines that you have developed and what sort of organizations has Viamo partnered with to develop these products? So I think one of the things that I should mention is that Viamo doesn't create this content or these surveys in a bubble. 
we don't define ourselves as content matter experts. So we partner with organizations who are content matter experts or who are, you know, experts in their field, whether that's health, education, and agriculture. And we partner with these organizations and we basically pitch ourselves as not trying to reinvent the wheel or not trying to to completely change the, the model in which that they engage with beneficiaries, but to basically enhance it. So we take a lot of existing materials that our partners have and we adapt them for the use of digital. And our partners are very broad reaching. Like I mentioned, we're sector agnostic. So we work across a number of sectors. Health is one of our biggest. And in light, obviously, of COVID-19 last year, that has kind of only grown in the last 12 months. But we work with a lot of agriculture partners, education partners, financial literacy. We work with the big donors like USAID and SCDO. And we help basically scale and enhance the work that they're perhaps already doing on the ground. So we take a lot in our content workshops, we take a lot of materials that are already in in existence. So whether that's posters that are put up in clinics or uh, training manuals that are given out at farmer training days, and we tell our partners to bring that sort of content into the content workshops. We don't necessarily always write content from scratch. We just try to adapt it to to the purposes of um, IVR. And, you know, especially in a, in a sector like agriculture, you have to be very honest with partners about what you can feasibly deliver over a mobile phone, especially in a format like interactive voice response. You know, if you imagine trying to be told over the phone while listening to someone, you know, some very deep technical process for how to prune coffee bushes, for example, it's not necessarily going to work. But what we try to do is work with partners who maybe farmers have gone and had a face-to-face training and they've learned how to cut said coffee bushes but they need to be reminded at particular times that this is what they need to do they might contract the armo to help them disseminate that content or those reminders or helpful tips um, to farmers at a particular time of need yeah that's really interesting as well sort of taking the existing interventions and bringing them onto mobile as a different touch point i think that's really interesting so how has Viamo technology being used then or um, this process of communicating and using mobile technology in interventions, how has this been used to address some developmental challenges facing populations in Tanzania, for example, if you have any specific examples of projects? So working in Tanzania has been the work we did with a national disability hospital called CCBRT, working to support awareness campaigns around fistula. So up to 21,400 Tanzanian women are currently living with obstetric fistula, with an estimated about 3,000 more developing the condition each year. And due to social stigma, limited knowledge of available treatment and the condition itself, affected women are often rejected by their communities and live in isolation, making their identification and referral for treatment a major challenge. So this is a perfect example of what Viamo really wants to help organisations overcome. So as a result of this, we identified an opportunity for Viamo to partner with CCBRT to launch an awareness campaign. In March 2019, Viamo launched content on fish fear awareness and treatment on the 321 service um, known as Alamika in Tanzania. And the service then referred callers to the CCBRT fistula hotline to receive treatment and more information on fistula. And since launching this content, we've actually received over 350,000 calls to the fistula content. And in particular, through the launch of this content, we came to hear of a woman called Asha who had suffered with fistula for over 21 years. And she didn't really understand what this condition was that was essentially destroying her life. 
Um, so Asha was actually one of the people on the Vodacom network who received a push SMS message about our 321 service in Tanzania. Um, and after dialing in, Asha was directed to messages about how the CCBRT clinic can help people suffering with fistula and that they can receive a consultation and treatment. And so after calling the CCBRT hotline to receive a consultation, Asha took a 23-hour bus ride to Dar es Salaam to receive surgery and treatment and um, where the costs were entirely covered by CCBRT. And so I think, you know, we get so much data from what we do. I think that's one of the biggest values that we add, that we have all of these metrics of, you know, how many people called a service, how many people listened to a message. But you don't often get the, the human element of the work that we do. And this is one of those big examples through the partnership we have with CCBRT and with their existing hotline, being able to support women or people who think a family member may be suffering with fistula, we were able to hear of someone like Asha. Um, and from then we've gone, I think, over... I think nearly a thousand women through 321 have been able to be referred to CCBRT for treatment. Let's take a short break. You are listening to the Global Digital Futures Podcast with Chipo Mapondera, where we discuss the latest in digital media and technology in the Global South. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. So that's one example. And then we do, you know, we've also conducted nationwide data collection efforts in partnerships with the Infocara Institute here in Tanzania, Tulane University and John Hopkins University for the purposes of surveying nationwide to understand how many households, for example, have all of their family members sleeping under a treated bed net um, in Tanzania as a way to understand malaria prevention methods and, and to sort of help direct implementation efforts as a result of these surveys to understand, you know, where maybe some of the gaps are nationwide um, for areas where perhaps treated bed nets aren't so readily available. And then another example is we recently finished a remote training project working with educators in Zanzibar to help with uh, teacher training in light of the COVID pandemic. So we supported pushing out training modules through IVR to over 12,000 teachers, of which around 97% successfully completed all eight training modules. So we we work with a broad uh, demographic. It's not just obviously people living in very remote areas, but it's also supporting uh, job training efforts as well, um, for example. Yeah, I think it's really amazing from what you're saying, the amount of people that you can reach and also reaching people maybe who are not like in urban areas or in areas where you have a a wide variety of communication and media dissemination tools, technologies, platforms, etc. So that's really great. And I'm quite, I'm wondering how your interventions via mobile are also used in tandem with other media perhaps just to make the communication as effective as possible what are some of the more effective ways to communicate with populations across Tanzania which I'm sure is quite varied based on you know where they are who they are 
It's really hard to know for sure the exact data on phone usage, but we typically go by 81% of households in Tanzania own a mobile phone. And there are also mixed reports on internet use um, in Tanzania that swing from 13% of the population having access all the way up to 50%. Um, We typically work on the assumption that about 25% of the population is considered an internet user, which would also include things like WhatsApp and Facebook. I think there is a risk as mobile handsets particularly smartphones, reduced in price, that we assume that this is synonymous with an increase in internet users. But digital literacy is a huge consideration in the work that we do, and especially the percent of internet content that is available in Kiswahili, for example. And I believe this continues to be a huge barrier to enhancing people's mobile phone use. Often when we do user testing and we come across a potential user who has a smartphone, when we assess their digital usage, it's often still only extending to sending an MS SMS or making a phone call and not necessarily as an avid internet user. So some of the data that comes out around ICT for D and mobile phone penetration and in particular smartphone usage, it does skew the solutions that are deployed. And as a company, Viamo has Facebook and WhatsApp bots and we are progressively designing and launching more app-based solutions, especially for our Asia demographic and countries perhaps like Nigeria, Kenya and South Africa who might be a little bit more ahead of the curve. But in countries like Tanzania, whenever we do use the tech testing or market research, we still find that for people we want to share content with or gather feedback from, basic mobile phone solutions um, make the most sense. And I think we do a lot, and we'll probably go into this in a bit of detail later on, but we do a lot of mobile campaigns alongside radio usage. And I think one of the things that I always try to emphasize is that we at Viamo you know, and the existence of the army was never with the intention of replacing radio, but more to enhance and improve communication campaigns alongside radio. And so in Tanzania, we're seeing, you know, basic mobile phone solutions are, make the most sense um, when especially coupled with the radio. Again, I think it's really interesting just that aligning with what is actually existing in the region, in the country I think that's really interesting. So you mentioned like user experience and user testing, which is very interesting and vital with technology solutions, I think. Could you give us a little background into like the user testing process that you do just for our listeners? Yeah, of course. So maybe if I just take you through the whole stages. So from contract signing and identifying a need with a partner, so like the example I gave for the CCBRT hospital with Fistula, we work with the content matter experts within that organization to basically build a skeleton template of what we think are the main areas that people need to be made aware of and then we build what we call um, an interactive voice response tree which is basically a decision tree that helps users call into a service and navigate to a key message so once that's done then we host a content workshop where we bring in content matter experts, uh, members of the relevant ministry. So if it you know in the Fisher case it would be the Ministry of Health um, and we work with those um content experts to basically like I said take existing materials repurpose them for the use of IVR or in some cases draft new messages that align with the campaign and the way that they need to be communicated through the IVR system once they are drafted translated into Kiswahili approved by the relevant ministry we then record those messages using local voice actors in local languages and in Tanzania we do all of our content in Kiswahili and then our product owner uh, here in Tanzania she goes 
out to the field and she does user testing. So we try and pick a semi-urban area, so maybe on the outskirts of Dar es Salaam, and then we pick another more rural area in another part of the country so that it's a little bit more representative. And we do user testing. And that user testing covers a, a lot of different areas. It covers, you know, we get people to listen to the message and we say, do you understand this message? Could you relay this message back to us to make sure that the content matter experts or the technical language has been translated in a way that is accessible to your everyday person and isn't using uh, complex language that deters people from uh, listening to the content. We then check dialect. So in other countries, we check language. So we go through and we test all the languages to make sure that all the words are correct. Because we only have one language here in Tanzania, we make sure that our Kiswahili doesn't sound too urban, because we found that often if it sounds like someone from a city, people who are not living in a city feel like this isn't information for me. This is for people that, you know, are far richer than I am or, you know, that live more affluent lives. So we really try and make sure that it's in a language and a dialect that it's relatable. We check pace. We check gender of the voice so quite interestingly we find different perspectives so within health we often get told that people want a more authoritative sounding voice often a male voice giving them information but in other areas and in, in fisher in particular we found it was more appropriate to have a female voice relaying these messages and a lot of the content that we deliver on 321 it isn't just statutory information so we basically have a dialogue between two characters and we have it more in a colloquial conversation because we find that that's much more relatable and much more popular so all of our user testing feeds into that process and then our product owner gathers all that feedback brings it back to the office we work with the production team and the recording team to draft any messages that we need to and then once that process is signed off that's when the content launches and, and it is available to our listeners let's take a short break join the global digital futures community follow us on instagram twitter and facebook at global underscore futures let's keep the conversation going I think that's really great because I sometimes with when considering international NGOs in certain local contexts, creating interventions, working on projects in sustainable development, there is always a fear of maybe like fully understanding the context that, you know, these international partners are working in. So it's really great to hear of this like detailed user experience testing and you know also partnering with the organizations I really like that but yeah I was also just going to add that then even when the content goes live we we're, we're very data driven so we, we're monitoring the system and we have what we call power users so these are people that call repeatedly into the service listen to a large volume of content and we actually reach out to them to understand their profile what drives them to call into the service what do they like about the service you know are they telling friends and family members about the service and so we try and build up profiles of our users as well to understand the types of people that are calling in so that then we can also further inform future content that we bring to the service. Yeah so actually I was going to ask about data a bit later on but as you've brought it up I actually yeah I didn't have a clear view of what actually the data is. You've mentioned some data on the response of how you know the content is engaged with. What yeah, what other data might you collect and how would you use it? 
Yeah, absolutely. So when we first launched 321, we purely based the success of the service on a number of calls to to any given service in any given country. And that's what we communicated and that's what we sort of used as a metric. And while that is a really good uh, informing piece of data, we found that it didn't actually help with improvement of the service or actually understanding the impact that we were making. So then what we did is we defined a listener. So this is where we said that we would only actually count people calling into the service who had at least listened to 75% of a key message and that's the data point now that drives us and that's the data point that we try to improve the service on is making sure that more people are accessing content and then listening to all of that content and then on top of that we have re- number of listeners and then we have number of key messages accessed so that is exactly that that basically is the it could be one listener who listens to five messages but then we count it as five key messages that have been listened to so they're the two main driving impact metrics that we go by and then we have opt-in registration on 321 because we really believe that you shouldn't have to give away personal information to access information we believe that if you want to give that information then there's an opt-in registration but you should still be able to access content without having to you know give your gender your age your location that being said once someone has listened to a key message at the end of that we are then would you like to register you know to take part in in feedback to have more tailored content or perhaps to take part in future data collection efforts for example and when someone opts in to register we we gather gender location and age data and that also helps inform um you know us in terms of the listeners that we have on the service so perhaps within tanzania for 3 one we've had 21 million calls to date we have around 2 million registered listeners. Our gender breakdown is about 42.9% female, 57% male, and about 54.6% of our listener base is considered youth. So a lot of our content does target you, which makes a lot of sense because of digital literacy and perhaps access to phones. And then about 84% of our callers are what we consider a repeat listener. So someone that's called in more than once to the service. Cool. So you mentioned, you know, you've gone into the, like, the user experience and designing that user experience. In our research, we saw some interventions that use sort of gamification as, you know, part of the communication method. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. So we have um, a partnership with Wanji Games, which basically is, if you're familiar with the childhood books, um, Choose Your Own Adventure, where basically the narrative of the book is kind of driven by the choices that you make while reading that book. We try to recreate that on the 321 service. So it's essentially a set of messages that people can listen into and then they can choose their own adventure or define the own, their own ending. So it might be around behaviour change, for example, about we did one, I think, around COVID. So helping people make choices around, you know, social distancing or uh, hand washing practices. And then we also did one in Uganda around chili farming, whereby the caller basically got to pick the ending of, you know, if you make this decision, it has this outcome. And we basically digitalized that whole process. And we found that it, it had a lot better engagement because people felt like they were sort of driving the narrative of the content. Mm, Yeah, I think also while we're just on the topic of trying to make the content as engaging as possible in different ways, you did mention the use of radio in conjunction with the mobile technology. And 
we're quite interested to find out more about the radio drama that you rolled out in Tanzania mm. as well. Yeah, I mean, perhaps I'll speak about radio dramas more broadly on 321 because I think it might provide a bit more context. But basically, we found that the use of radio dramas, whereby you add more dynamic educational entertainment content on the 321 service, boosts the number of unique listeners and key messages and often will drive more traffic to, to the serve, the IVR channel specifically as a whole. And actually, when we add this content alongside a radio broadcast, this creates an avenue for also promoting the 321 service and enhancing it. So we, this actually came off the back of a piece of work that we did in Botswana and we basically added new content um, every Saturday as an additional broadcast channel for a piece of radio drama known as Sky Girls. And the users were able to listen to a new episode each week made available at the same time as the episode was broadcast on the radio. And by doing this, we saw unique listeners per month more than double and our key message per month more than triple. But most interestingly, these radio dramas actually attracted more female callers and younger callers to the 321 service in Botswana. So this is one one example but it's a use case that we have built on to offer more content in tandem with radio broadcasts and more education dramas as they have proven to be really popular in 321 and in Tanzania we have a long-standing strategic partnership with an organization called Girl Effect which is part of the Nike Foundation and um, and we created in tandem with their radio broadcast IVR messages that specifically targeted adolescent girls and it, it's one of the most popular content areas currently on our 321 service. And what was that that content dealing with, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, of course. It was it was three pillars that girl, girl effect have an amazing behavior change approach to working with adolescent and young girls. And basically they had three pillars identified. One was like empowering life, maybe running your own business. And the last campaign we did with them actually styled each radio drama and each IVR message was styled um, around a bijaj, which is what in Tanzania is known basically as a tuk-tuk, a bijaj driver's journey with a passenger. And each passenger would have a different problem. And this character that we created as the bijaj, female bijaj driver would basically be giving advice on various different things. So it was really broad in terms of it might have been around, you know, sex education or it could have been around, you know, relationships with family, you know, getting a good education, maybe starting your own business, female uh, role models in your life that you can look towards. So there was a whole range of different areas, but it was all based around these conversations that this female bajanta driver had with her passengers. Let's keep the conversation going. Send your comments, questions and feedback on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook at global underscore futures or email hello at globaldigitalfutures.com. We might just give you a shout out on the next episode. Yeah, that's really fascinating. It's great, like the broad scope as you said of like topics or issues or you know interventions that you can tackle especially because what I'm getting is that your focus is on the technology and the data analysis but also aligning with the issues on the ground or partners on the ground which is really interesting. So COVID, you mentioned COVID-19 and some projects and work that you've been doing around that of course it's one of the biggest phenomena that's been going on the past year. Um, So how has Viamo's technology uh, been used during the COVID-19 pandemic then? 
Yeah, I mean, I think the Armo, which was previously known as Voter Mobile, which this is probably worth noting, is that we were created off the back of the Ebola crisis in West Africa in 2013. However, at the time, Voter was not equipped with the local infrastructure, the mobile network operator agreements or the development partners in order to really make the impact that our founders truly believed was possible with IVR mobile technology. So obviously, fast forward to 2020, where VRMO is now in over 25 countries with local teams and local infrastructure already in place, it meant that we could respond instantly to COVID-19. And like I mentioned, we had our messages drafted and approved by WHO and the Ministry of Health in Tanzania before the case, the first case of COVID was even confirmed, which meant that we were ready and waiting to launch the content once it was officially announced and that COVID had obviously sadly arrived in Tanzania in March last year. And the virus was reported in all countries where Viamo works and Viamo supported many different organisations with coordinated efforts to share critical information on prevention and treatment, curb panic and or, you know, to correct rapidly spreading misinformation regarding the outbreak that we saw, you know, kind of hitting a lot of the countries that we work in. And our existing technology integrations in country were used to reach any mobile subscriber on any network to disseminate crucial information throughout the targeted region. Regions and especially to the most vulnerable populations. And since then, over 19 million people have learned about COVID-19 through VRMO's pre-recorded voice, IVR and SMS platforms. Today, I think we've had something like 222 million minutes of COVID content consumed by the general population, as well as um, health workers who we've also worked closely with to support with the you know, response to COVID-19. And now, I guess, globally, we're working towards supporting successful vaccine distribution in the countries where we work. And our goal for 2021 is for populations to have authentic, updated information about the COVID-19 vaccine and its rollout, as well as for health workers to be trained on vaccine delivery and community sensitization. And I guess, lastly, for vaccine recipients to have a way of being registered and to schedule compliance to ensure that that's also achieved. Amazing. Yeah, I'm just thinking now because I'm in Zimbabwe and I have been um, for the past year, basically. And yeah, I mean, it's super important to have this type of what can I say? controlled information or verified information about the pandemic in light of the sort of conspiracy theories and other type of information that's being spread by mobile phone yeah, um, about yeah, COVID. Yeah, and I think one of the most interesting things we saw, especially in Tanzania, is that more people are turning to the 3G1 service as a trusted source of information. So we even saw last March that as the case, and this actually wasn't just Tanzania, this is across a number of uh, countries where 3G1 is available. We saw that as the COVID pandemic was hitting more and more countries, we saw a huge spike in call volumes to our health and news content, even before we had actually put COVID content up um, on the 321 service. And similarly, in the hours after we very sadly lost the president of Tanzania, we saw a 25% spike in callers to our news content before we'd even got the content from our news partner to put it up on the service. So that's quite exciting for us because I think that's what we've always tried to achieve. And it's been a huge challenge to get to that point of people turning to the 321 service for content. And I think something like COVID-19 was a real data point for us to be able to identify spikes in our calls in relation to people's actively seeking that information out yeah I mean for me it's really interesting I mean you know you hear of ICT for development mobile for development technology for development and have an idea of what that means 
but it is really nice to sit and talk to you and really drill down on a specific technology and how it's actually being implemented and what are the processes of implementing that technology and using that technology you know on the ground and then sort of the results of it it's really great so we found out that you were a panelist at an event last year do black lives matter in ict4d which was a very positive discussion could you share with us your perspective on how the development sector has been responding to anti-black racism yeah, definitely. I mean, I think I know that off the back of 2020 and the Black Lives Matter movement, there was certainly more discussion around these matters and especially what this looks like in the ict for d space. The AMO ourselves held internal town uh, hall Zoom meetings to create space for these conversations, especially for employees who felt more, most impacted by these matters. However, I still feel like that this is a topic that needs to be more at the forefront of the work that we all do. And I don't think that the ICT for D space is doing enough as a whole to address these issues. And I know when I was part of the event last year hosted by Dr. Rhonda Zalesny Green, myself and other panelists spoke more about what were some of the possible concrete actions people could take to be more anti-racist in their own ICT for D work. And one of the main things I think needs to be more actively practiced is no matter how great you think your tech idea is, if it has been created to serve the needs of people in Africa, for example, you know, do your research, accept when someone tells you that the solution isn't for them. And, you know, on a related note, you also need to ask yourself, are, are you taking space up from a local entrepreneur or innovator? Is there something that you could do in partnership who, you know, you could support to execute your own idea? So that's one idea. I mean, I think something else that a lot of us also talk about is, you know, not just in ICT4D, but in development more broadly is about honestly paying taxes and statutory deductions for the countries your tech is being operated in. And, you know, if you're a foreigner, especially if you're coming from a white Western country, you know, get the right legal working status. If you're going to work in a country in Africa, just because you're white doesn't mean you don't need to work legally. And far too many times people are abusing or quite frankly, violating the system as a result of, you know, I'm doing good or I'm, I'm impacting these people. But really, that's kind of against the point if you're not living authentically. Great. Yeah. I definitely agree. I mean, I'm from I'm from Zim and we have the NGO sector is, you know, it's huge and there's lots of projects going on and things going on. And yeah, these are the fears or questions that we tend to have, um, the points that you raised. So yeah, really great. So thank you so much, Hannah. Really appreciate you taking your time and, you know, taking us through in such detail. And yeah, good luck with everything. Thank you so much. No, it was an absolute pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode with Hannah Metcalf, the Tanzania Country Director at Viamo. Discover more about Viamo on their website, viamo.io, and connect with Hannah on LinkedIn. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe and follow. Also, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It will really help with our ranking. And if you enjoyed the episode, please share the podcast with your friends. You can find us online at www.globaldigitalfutures.com and on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook at global underscore futures.